I don't think it's crazy to suggest we could have hundreds of thousands or low millions of users. And, it, you know, it sounds crazy and taboo to say that. But fundamentally, the reason I believe that is if we make an app easy enough to use and the app makes you money from using it. Yeah, I think there are millions of people in the United States who would use that app as long as it's easy enough, right? Hey, this is Jesse here, and this is episode 56 of the Betting Startups podcast with Drew Tabor from Bets Booster, which is taking the gambling out of betting. We covered a lot of ground in this discussion, including Drew's former world number one ranking in Guitar Hero, how he's using gamification to bring matched betting to the masses, and how the Bets Booster value proposition has delivered in its early days with some power users generating over $20,000 in profits. Drew was a really intriguing guest, and I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. But before we get started, I wanted to give you a heads up that ICE London, the world's largest event for the gaming industry, takes place in just a few weeks from February 7th to 9th in London. This year's event will be the first full-sized edition since 2020, and once again, Pitch Ice is back as part of the event, with 12 startups taking to the stage to pitch for investment. You can check out two-minute videos from all of the pitch winners on the ICE website, plus register to take part by going to www.icelondon.uk.com. All right, we are back on the Betting Startups podcast, and the train keeps rolling here. We're up to episode 56, and for this one, I'm joined by Drew from Bets Booster. Drew, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Happy to have you on. Really interested in uh, what you and your team are up to at Bets Booster. It's some really compelling stuff. So excited to dive in and unpack it all. But maybe just to start off with today, Drew, it'd be awesome if we could spend a couple minutes just up front having you introduce yourself, maybe give people listening a sense of your background and some of the major chapters of your journey up until the co-founding of Bets Booster. Yeah, sure thing. So born and raised out in sort of the outskirts of Appalachia. Augusta County, Virginia, for anyone who wants to look it up on a map. And it's a fairly unusual upbringing, I think, for a lot of the city folks I hang out with now. And so I have a, a different perspective on, I think, a lot of the business stuff than is common. But growing up, I was always a good math student and I always loved video games. At one point, I was actually the number one guitar hero player in the world on four different titles. So the, those were my early interests that have kind of carried into this you know, present day space. Went to college down at Virginia Tech, had a computer science degree, and then I worked at Microsoft and Oracle for eight years before getting into Bets Booster. So got an interest in math, video games, and expertise as a software engineer. This is a short answer. Awesome. Well, I mean, all of that is very relevant to what you're up to now. Um, maybe just to pull on that thread a little bit further, Drew, just wondering if you can sort of talk about the origins of Bet Booster and, and maybe what sort of prompted the initial idea and just kind of like, where were you at then? And what did you do to kind of take tangible steps towards uh, shifting from that corporate career trajectory into entrepreneurship? Let's see, I'll start by saying around, I guess it's been three or four years at this point, maybe five years, I just kind of developed a hobby of reading a lot of like classic business books. So that's stuff like Effective Executive by Peter Drucker, Black Swan by Taleb, you know, things of that nature. And I just was reading these for hobbies, but I wasn't actually really applying anything that I read. And so right a little over two years ago at this point, there were two books that really dovetailed nicely. One is called The Millionaire Fastlane by uh, MJ DeMarco. Sounds clickbaity, but a lot of the fundamental stuff they touch on in the book is really good. It's a lot of the like underlying math of sort of having a corporate job versus being an entrepreneur that again, spoke to me because I like math. I'm a nerd. And anti-fragile was the other one. It's just like, holy shit, I've seen the light. Like, I know what I need to do. Like, time to turn my whole life 45 degrees and start walking in this direction instead of being a corporate employee. 
Let's take a deeper dive now into Bets Booster and, and talk a little bit about what it is you and your team are up to. So again, maybe just for the benefit of people listening that might not be familiar with it, just high concept, Drew, can you give us a sense of what it is, uh, maybe who uses it in terms of your target user and, and just sort of what's the overall value proposition to those users? Yeah, absolutely. This is what I alluded to earlier when I said, I'm, I think taking an unusual perspective and developing this app relative to a lot of stuff that exists in the industry right now. A lot of the folks I grew up with did not go to college, are not terribly responsible people. I will politely say, like, they drink too much, they gamble too much, they have illegitimate children. You know, if you imagine stereotypical Appalachia, it's not quite as sensational as you might believe, but the foundation of it is there. People do have these problems out there. And so really the, the value prop of Bets Booster is if I can get these types of people to use the app, right? And this is not people who are sitting at their desk every day with spreadsheets and calculators and two monitors. This is people who don't, do not own a computer and they have a three-year-old iPhone. Like, how can we get some of the more advanced betting strategies into their hands in a way that they can actually use? And so that's really what I'm going for there. Just a super easy to use way to do matched betting or potentially other advanced betting strategies like middles is another one I'm interested in, but taking that and making it into an entertainment product instead of more of a financial product, right? Because typically with arbitrage, you think of, you just want to make as much money as quickly as possible. And match betting is sort of an extension of that. But what we're looking to do is take the match betting and make it into a game format so that people who don't understand it, who are very limited technically, let's say, can do match betting and arbitrage, right? There's another business in the Web3 space that sort of has tried to do this. It's called Axie Infinity. And their business or their product, as I understand it, is you collect axolotl-based creatures uh, who have stats and then you battle them. And if you win, then you earn real NFTs, which is debatably currency. But that's the idea, right? So we're sort of taking that same model. Like we're going to make a game. And then if you play the game, uh, you win your matched bets and you win cash instead of NFTs. So by playing the game, you win money is, is what we're going for. Got it. And just again, just for the benefit of people listening um, that might just not have familiarity with sort of industry jargon, can you just quickly define what matched betting is and just provide some context there? Yeah, good call. So matched betting is taking sportsbook promotions and combining it with arbitrage. So if you have, let's say, a $100 free bet from DraftKings, right, they're handing them out like hotcakes right now. You can bet one side of a game with your free bet, hedge it somewhere else, you know, two lines of math to figure out how much you should bet. You place those bets, you can turn that $100 free bet into 70 or 80 or $90 cash, right? So that part, super easy. Getting that capacity into people's hands who are never going to understand those two lines of math is really what we're trying to tackle. Gotcha. So essentially your product or your app is abstracting away, I guess, the need to do all of the complex stuff, as you say, with spreadsheets and two monitors and math and all of this stuff and really just making it what sounds like to be a dead simple UX with a bit of gamification on top. Is that sort of a fair characterization? Yep, exactly. That's the vision. Okay, gotcha. Awesome. And then I guess insofar as how you plan to monetize the product, can you just talk a bit about like the overall business model you have in mind at this stage? We are looking to do a SaaS product, sort of. We're looking at doing a freemium SaaS product as part of the game. So for example, in our free tier to start out with, you get two sports books. Okay. And that's enough to sign up. You get the sign up bonuses. We do the math for you. You see that it works. You win a couple hundred dollars. From there, we upsell to a base tier subscription, and that's going to be mostly money line bets because 
those are the easiest ones to place. And those are the most sort of intuitive, like someone who is relatively unfamiliar with betting goes in, like they, they understand betting on one side of a game and then betting on the other team of the other side of the game. So they can kind of get familiar with the product in that way. And then as they progress through the games, we have other subscriptions that they can consume. For example, we go from bets booster to bets booster plus, and that would be, let's get you away from just money line and introduce like all of the prop bets and stuff. Once people get more familiar with the, the apps. Gotcha. And where's Bets Booster at in the journey overall? Um, sort of how long you guys been at it and sort of where are you at as of now? And, and I guess just thinking about like traction, do you have any sort of traction at the stage or is it still too soon, I guess, to really talk about customer adoption at scale? Uh, we're about two years in at this point. I started heh, first spreadsheet and the first first couple lines of code right after the Super Bowl in 2021. So rapidly approaching a two year anniversary. Uh, at this point, we are finalizing our design for the full native mobile app. And then between we're, we're looking to launch and right before football season, like actually in the app stores and everything, not just the web service. So we're building that out over the next seven months and sort of positioning ourselves to start marketing because uh, the team right now is entirely engineers and ex-engineers who uh, marketing's not our strong suit, let's say. And, you know, shameless plug here. Uh, if anyone listening to this is a marketing wizard, like, let me know. Like, I want to talk to you. But that's kind of what the rest of the year looks like for us. It's just actually building out everything we've got designed and then starting to market really traction wise. So far, we have a couple dozen people using it and they love it, which is great. But yeah, a, a couple dozen does not make a business. No, of course. And for those couple dozen, Drew, just to quickly zoom in on that, you know, does this, I guess, value proposition of them being able to, as you say, like use and match betting to, to generate cash to them. I mean, it sounds great in principle, but for the practical application of these concepts, sometimes things break down. Just curious, like for your initial users that are testing it out, are they actually getting that value out of using the app? Is it, is it working, I guess, the way it's intended? Yeah, it, it definitely is so far. Our paywall went up last July, so people have been able to sign up and use the app, you know, quote unquote, fully for this beta version for a little over six months. And our power users who jumped right in are up at about $20,000 since then. And yeah, they, they love it. They're excited for the, you know, the next steps as we roll it out, because it's still very early in terms of user experience for us. Well, I can imagine they are excited if they're generating, you know, 20K plus in returns from using the app. I mean, that is uh, delivering on the value proposition, it sounds like. So yeah, exactly. And that, there's one, one more note there, like a lot of the other arbitrage providers in the industry that are, I would say more financially focused, like, as you know, people can sit down and do positive EV and arbitrage as a full-time job and make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. We are not looking to go down that path. And I want to emphasize that because I think people are naturally gravitate towards that path. So if, if you can make $20,000 and you just do more of the same thing, you make $100,000, why wouldn't you do that? And that ties back into, we're trying to make this consumable by people who don't have the time and resources really to go from $20,000 up to $100,000. We want to keep it super consumable and go broad instead of deep in that sense with the match betting. I want to zoom out a little bit here from Bets Booster specifically and um, ask a little bit about just, I guess, at the industry level, there's been quite a bit of chatter recently from operators and, you know, industry analysts around, you know, the potential of operators reducing the level of bonusing and free bets and things like this, even going so far, I think. I saw the other week, uh, Penn Interactive said in a, uh, I think in an investor note that they're even looking at changing the language around free bets, right? So there seems to be the sense to me that you know, the, the bonusing, the free bets, all of these incentives to really drive customer acquisition for the sports books, you know, might be, I don't want to say drying up, but certainly might be declining from where it's been over the last few years. 
just curious to sort of hearing about the match betting value prop. How do you think about this potential trend, I guess, in the context of best booster and sort of what does that mean for the best booster value prop if operators do indeed start reducing these offers over time? Got a lot of answers to that. Let's start by the, start with the declining um, volume of promotions, let's say. And we're doing two things there. One is that we're counting on the offers not really drying up until it's legal everywhere in the U.S. Like I can't imagine a FanDuel, for example, the uh, $1,000 no, no sweat first bet. I can't imagine that if it's legal in California on day one, they're not going to run that promotion because then the, you know, uncommitted Let's say California customers are going to go to different apps. So we're kind of banking on like there's still a couple of year runway there before they really start to fall off a cliff in terms of value. And so that gives us a couple of years to come up with a long-term customer retention strategy. But to answer the second part of your question, how are we going to do that? We're looking for more evergreen content that has entertainment properties, I would say. Uh, an example of that would be middles, right? And I'll go into a little bit of technical depth here. Middles are essentially doing arbitrage, but with the potential to win both sides of the bet. So if you bet on uh, Lakers plus one and a half and the Celtics minus 0.5, well, if the Celtics win by exactly one point, you win both of those bets. And if it doesn't happen, then you break even because of arbitrage, right? And so essentially what that structurally is, is a lottery ticket, right? People can go in and place those two bets and then they're rooting for their very specific number. And if they hit, they win a ton of money. And if they don't hit it, well, they got a free lottery ticket. And so that's a type of evergreen content we can use without um, promotions. And there are probably more of those. Yeah. So you're not entirely dependent then on bonusing and free bets for the, you know, the viability of the business long-term. You do have other things that I guess are agnostic to the free bets, it sounds like. Exactly. And I don't want to, you know, show too many of our cards here. Sure. uh, There there are several patents we're pursuing for, uh, let's call it financially advantageous entertainment products. Cool. Well, we can leave that there then. Yeah. Won't ask you to reveal too much more. Um, but I do want to ask as well, Drew, you know, I guess if I'm sort of understanding Bets Booster correctly as you describe it, I sort of personally, rightly or wrongly, bucket it into this betting tools bucket, right? So there is a fairly healthy ecosystem at this point of different types of betting tools out there. I've had a number of guests on in the past that have different types of betting tools with different types of value props. And I guess I'm just curious, I guess, as you're entering this category of betting tools, I'm just sort of wondering what your overall assessment is of that landscape and ecosystem right now. Right. Well, the first thing I'll say is all of those betting tools work, right? Like I've played with them, like they do work. The problem that I see within that, that we're trying to solve is that it takes a lot of time at a desk with spreadsheets and stuff in order for it to work. And so actually using it is really bound by an individual's time and effort. Here's an analogy I'll give you. If you want to take advantage of a matched bet right now, what a lot of the other sites are using metaphorically is a software service to give you tools. So let's say hypothetically placing the arbitrage bet is building a table. Well, these other sites will say, great, we've got lumber. Here's your hammer. Here's your nails. Here's your saw, blah, blah, blah. We'll teach you how to build this table for yourself. And then if you're an individual with enough time and interest in doing this, you can build tables, place match bets. What we're looking to do is take all of those tools in-house, learn how to use them, have software use them for us. And so then what we're doing is just saying, hey, do you want a fully built table? Here you go. Here's your table. You don't have to build it yourself. We just tell you what to bet on. You want to place your bet and you have your $100 free bet. Okay, bet that here, hedge it here, done. Now you have uh, however much profitability is dictated by the odds. Gotcha. I mean, so I guess it really comes back to uh, this notion of just like dead simple, intuitive, um, not a lot of... uh... I don't want to say critical thought required to, to use the app on like some of these other tools. No, I mean, that's but exactly it. Yeah. 
like we're the, we're driving the airplane right into somebody's mouth. Like, you know, the, the baby foods in the spoon, we're right. delivering it straight to the tongue. <laughs> like you don't have to do anything. Like we give it to you. Gotcha. Cool. I want to ask a little bit about gamification as well. I mean, you've alluded to this and the fact that the, the user experience will feel, you know, as much like a game as anything else. Just wondering, I guess you could talk a bit about, you know, your overall like philosophies on gamification and just sort of what prompted you to even think about taking a gamified approach to the product in the first place. So for this, let's go back to, I mentioned earlier that I was a you know number one guitar hero player for many years back at the tail end of high school and college. And so uh, a lot of the game mechanics and how to I'll use the word addicting, although that kind of has a negative nuance to it, but how addicting they are if you buy into it. And so like for Guitar Hero, I was chasing first place scores. And so the, the way to do that is, and I won't go too deep here, but you strategically use star power. And so star power gives you double points and you have to be able to play the song perfectly. And it's incredibly satisfying when you get a first place score on a song, right? And then there are 80 songs in a game. So you just kind of rinse and repeat there and you know, you really, you really get that social proof of being at the top of the leaderboard and achievements are another one. You get your five stars. And then if you play the song perfectly, they turn gold, right? And it's just a very minor game mechanic, but yeah, if you buy into it, you're like, yeah, I want, I want all my stars to be gold, right? On the whole game. Yeah. I don't want this naked five star here because I missed a couple of notes. Like I've got a lot of, uh, personal experience from like all the way down the rabbit hole on that. And as far as applying that to Bets Booster, we're using Yu Kai Chao's Octalysis framework, which is the single best framework for creating gamification elements in an app in the world. And the reason I chose that one is because I read through it, read through a lot of his material and spoke to him. And it's exactly reflective of my experience having played the game as an individual. Like all the stuff that he talks about makes sense. And that's the, like, there's more to it than this and you have to tie it together, but stuff like points, leaderboards, achievements, all of those things just make using an app a better experience. And it kind of keeps people constantly engaged in a way that just a functional app doesn't, right? Hundreds of millions of people play Angry Birds for fun of their own volition. How many people are making PowerPoint presentations of their own volition, right? It's like, no, you do that because you have to. You play games because you want to. Let's shift uh, quickly just to the fundraising side of things, Drew. I mean, as you said a few minutes ago, you're coming up on the two-year anniversary. Um, you and your co-founder, I understand, left sort of, you know, corporate jobs to do this. So curious just on like the funding background, how you've been funding everything to date. And I guess as you look ahead to the rest of the year, and as you say, you got the apps launching, uh, you know, maybe later in the year. What's, I guess, your fundraising strategy to, to really grow and scale Bets Booster? Yeah, so far we've been completely bootstrapped up until now. And that's, go off, go off on a slight tangent. There's a Tim Ferriss podcast. And one of the things he talks about is doing a quote unquote real world MBA. And for him, that was taking, I think, 100000 or $120,000 and doing venture capital for two years. And so I like the concept of that. And so my application of that was I'll take, I haven't actually been tracking the dollar figure too much, but it's probably around that. Like, okay, I'm just going to start a business with this money and sort of make my own mistakes. And because using my own money, they're going to be much more painful mistakes than they would be with an investor's money. And so that, that accelerates learning, like going through those mistakes, acknowledging them as mistakes and not making them anymore. So from that, we've done that for two years. Now seems like an appropriate time to go out and get venture capital funding and really scale up the business. Because like I mentioned earlier, we need help with marketing. We don't have any marketing people in-house currently. And that is maybe not solved, but that's, I think, a more straightforward use of money than other aspects of business, if that makes sense. 
Awesome. I also want to spend a couple of minutes here, Drew, talking about just your journey starting Bets Booster. And I mean, you just sort of uh, alluded to the transition, I guess, from that corporate world and into entrepreneurship <laughs> and I guess the the real world MBA from Tim Ferriss. But just, I guess, you know, I'd love to just hear quickly, like your experience taking the leap from what I would assume is like the relative stability of working in a company like Oracle or Microsoft, right? I mean, you've basically turned 180 degrees in the other direction and gone into the great unknown with starting <laughs> a company here, right? It's like that transition can be very difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs. Just curious to get your experience taking that leap so far. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I'll say is you kind of have to, or I did anyway, I won't generalize it too much, but I had to kind of mentally steal myself for that transition because I think for the most part, society, at least once you're within the corporate world, doesn't really encourage people to leave the corporate world and start businesses. So you kind of have to swim against the current in a lot of ways. And so just being, I think, mentally prepared to swim against the current and like there's a lot of, you know, like friends and family and everything are like, why would you give up this corporate job to go and do something with so much risk to it? And it's like, you know, the answer at the end of the day has to be because you want to. And I did want to, like, you know, like I mentioned with Anti-Fragile and um, the other book, Millionaire Fastlane, those kind of planted the seeds in me of like, you know, if you're seeking financial independence, let's say, starting a business is a much better way to get there than working a corporate job forever. And the underlying math there being, if you have a corporate job and you're making, let's say, $100,000 a year, and you save 30000 of that, well, every year you're going to have extra $30,000. And that's nice, steady, linear growth. But if you start a business, like a SaaS business, it takes however long to build out a core product, but then scaling that product can be exponential, right? Once the product's built, going from 1,000 customers to 2,000 customers does not require linear effort. And that's, I'm probably not going to do a very good job explaining this in just words on a podcast, but the gist of it is starting a business has exponential growth, working corporate job has linear growth. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to take a stab at exponential growth here. It's kind of my thinking. Gotcha. And then the other thing just to quickly ask about uh, as far as the founder journey goes, um, and you mentioned this at the outset here, but it, you know, the team you have right now, it's all sounds quite technical, right? Which sounds <laughs> ideal. But as you pointed out, right, a couple of times, like there are then gaps on the business side, perhaps, or the marketing side. So I'm just curious to hear, Drew, what's your assessment of both the advantages and disadvantages that you guys have as a technical founding team? I think the advantages we have are that the product we're building is going to work technically. And to me, that's more foundational than marketing is, I guess. But, but you know, that's not to say that you can't make a great business with incredible marketing and weak technical aspects of the business because you can. It's just, I think over the long run, people catch on to that, right? If a product is kind of all, all sizzle, no flash or whatever that expression is. So advantages is once people do get our product in their hands, it works. We know that it works. We're able to very quickly, like if people have bugs or odds change, things of that nature, we can very quickly iterate on the technical components of things and really prevent a lot of those problems. Disadvantages, obviously, in order to scale a business, you need marketing, right? Like people have to use your app and then pay you for it as a SaaS service in order for it to be a viable business. So right now what we have is a product, but not a business. And we need to kind of make that leap. And last thing I learned to say on this is I think the most important part of doing this as a founder or being aware of and acknowledging what you are not the best person to do within the business. And so for us right now, we look around, we have a lot of technical people it's like, okay, great. No one currently in-house is going to be good at marketing that, you know, that's not a fatal flaw here. That just means we need to go out and get someone who's good at marketing and then put them in the marketing seat. Right. But yeah, that, that's the most important thing. I think is just acknowledging we don't have that person right now. We don't need to go way, way out of our way to try to do this ourselves. We just need to go and find someone who kind of fits our ethos and values and plug them in and then have, have them do it. 
Awesome. We've already talked a little bit about some of the major focus areas for Bets Booster this year between, I guess, just the product and maybe the fundraising. So I won't ask you, I guess, what the milestones are for this year since you've already preemptively answered that. But what I will ask you is to look into your crystal ball and maybe zoom out five years into the future and maybe in your wildest dreams or your best case scenario, where is Bets Booster in five years time and sort of what does it look like within the wider landscape of betting tools and products? I'll let my imagination run wild here for a second. Uh, five years from now, if we can capitalize on a lot of the exponential growth mechanics we're putting in place, I don't think it's crazy to suggest we could have hundreds of thousands or low millions of users. And, it, you know, it sounds crazy and taboo to say that, but fundamentally, the reason I believe that is if we make an app easy enough to use and the app makes you money from using it. Yeah, I think there are millions of people in the United States who would use that app as long as it's easy enough, right? Fundamentally. And so if you kind of accept that premise, then getting to that is just putting in the work. And, you know, it's a matter of figuring out how to do it. Not, you know, the vision makes sense to me, I guess is what I'm saying. And it's just like, okay, we're going towards that. We know we're going towards that. Everything along the way is a detail. Awesome. And I guess it's not entirely uncharted territory if you look at other categories or verticals, whether it be, uh, you know, stock trading or personal finance or other areas where other products would be merged that are more, I guess, I'll call it consumer friendly than maybe some of the incumbents. Exactly. Yeah. But Robinhood's a great example, right? Right. Before Robinhood, there was E-Trade or Fidelity or whatever, and they kind of had mobile apps, but they were mobile apps that you needed to already understand the industry in order to use, like a very function first. One of the big things in the Octalysis framework is don't do things function first, do things human first. And that ties back into what you're asking about having a technical founding team. It's like, we've got the functionality. The functionality is there and we need help with the user experience stuff because just surfacing functionality as calculators and spreadsheets is not the best user experience relative to playing a game. And the numbers bear that out, right? Millions of people play games and, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people do arbitrage. Awesome. This takes us to my standard closing question, Drew, which is this, in case you haven't heard it, if you weren't working on Bets Booster or you weren't working in tech in any capacity or in betting or in any previous career roles in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? So I, this is actually something I want to hope to get to post Bets Booster, whatever that looks like. But I mentioned I like reading all of those kind of classic business books really as a hobby. I have a hell of a time getting anybody else to read those books. Like I'll read Anti-Fragiles, like this is the best thing I've ever read and I just can't get anybody else to read it. And so one of the things that's kind of calling to me after this is I would love to take that book, go through it with a fine tooth comb, make it into a Udemy course, right? And that would probably be, you know, 15 or 20 hours of content or something and be like, okay, I did the hard part of reading the book, but like, here it is. Like somebody please consume this so I could talk to you about it. And then, you know, you do that for 20 year or 25 or 50 books or however much that's, you know, I think that would be fun to do. If I wasn't in tech or betting, I'd probably already be doing that. But it's also not something that I'd have given up on, I suppose. And actually, oh. one more, I'll do one more tip of the hat to Tim Ferriss there. One of the things he advocates for is doing business ventures such that even if you fail, you still take a step forward. And so, that, you know, hypothetically looking at the Udemy side of things for monetization of this hobby, even if there's not an audience for it and people don't want to listen to 20 hours of me talking about business books, there's still a public track record that I've read all of these books and understand it well enough to teach people. So then, you know, say this dries up, I get tired of it. I don't like the books I'm reading anymore. Then what would, I would be in a position from that to you know, step into a relatively influential role, I think, in a lot of businesses because all of the principles for all the books are in my head and there are plenty of businessmen out there who value those things. Awesome, Drew. To wrap up here today for people listening that might want to learn more about Bets Booster, potentially check out the product and or get in touch with yourself, where can you point them towards to do all of that? 
So I would go to www.betsbooster.com. And from there, you can join our Discord server and just ping me directly in Discord. I don't have a creative username. My Discord alias is just True Taper. Awesome, Drew. By the way, I'm sorry we didn't have time to get to a uh, Guitar Hero solo today. Uh, maybe we can save that for a subsequent episode. But uh, it's been great having you on today, Drew. Learning more about Bets Booster sounds like there's some pretty exciting stuff underway here. So wishing you and the team all the best for the year ahead. Great. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.